Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of Big Ten Network, and this week's episode features Mike DeCourcy, college basketball expert, and Big Ten Network manager of research, Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, my goodness. All right, before we get to Mike DeCourcy, quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Say it every time after the ad read, but if you're looking for a great opportunity to get your foot in the door, Work in sports, work at a place like Big Ten Network, check out that master's program at Northwestern. Great opportunity for sure. All right. We will now intro Mike DeCourcy, a regular guest on the show. I say regular. It's about once a year, but he comes on usually in October or November to preview the college basketball season. Always really appreciative. Um, He's become a great person to know for me personally and uh, always has immense insight into college basketball, has, has had the job forever, and um, it is always great to lean on for college basketball analysis and, and knows every team, not only in the Big Ten, but across the country, so he knows how the Big Ten kind of fits into the national picture. We get into that uh, quite a bit here coming up on the show, talk Big Ten contenders, talk where those contenders fit in, maybe uh, in their postseason aspirations, especially after last year's disappointing performance in March Madness, following a great, great season of Big Ten basketball, um, you know, COVID complications aside. So, talked about being happy to be back in a normal college basketball season. It's really the last sport that hasn't been fully back yet from, or hasn't looked back to normal yet following the uh, pandemic restrictions, right? Like, it was the first one to suffer with March Madness being canceled. And every other sport has kind of gotten plenty of games in besides college basketball at this point. It has fans in the stands and the athletes kind of having a normal experience again. So it's going to be great to see college basketball back. We've already got a taste of it with a few of the exhibition games getting underway in the past week or so. Seeing the student sections back in the Big Ten has been awesome. Seeing the players you know, not having to be spaced out on the bench like last year has been refreshing. Um, so just really excited to get things underway. And it all starts on Tuesday, November 9th with a bunch of Big Ten teams in action, and it should be a lot of fun. So talking hoops with Mike DeCourcy, the writer for the Sporting News, also works for Fox Sports and can be seen on our air at Big Ten Network. And he can be seen and heard right now on this podcast, and we'll get to him right now. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News. You can see him talking hoops on TV for Big Ten Network. Fox Sports, and he's a regular, familiar face this time of year on the podcast, which I am very grateful for. Mike, how are you? Good to see you again. Oh, it's great to be back, Alex. Uh, really looking forward to the uh, upcoming season in the Big Ten and beyond, as we say. <laughs> uh, uh, very excited about it. Uh, obviously, it was great that we had a season in 2020-21. Uh, great that we had a Final Four and a national champion. 
but obviously uh, a little different than we're accustomed to. And um, after having been at media day and seen all the coaches and the players, very much looking forward to getting a chance to get back into that world again. Yeah, likewise. And it's good to see you at media day. And uh, now that we're kind of back out on the road, back at events, I'm curious, how many games did you get to last year? And how many, if any, I mean, a lot of people didn't go to any. I went to a couple and was lucky enough to go to the Big Ten tournament. Um, and then are you planning on hitting the road even harder this year to make up for lost time? Yeah, I, I went to the Sweet 16 one round uh, uh, at, Butler, at uh, Butler's Hinkle Fieldhouse. I went to the Elite Eight one night. Uh, that was the Michigan game against UCLA and, and uh, Gonzaga versus Southern California. And then I was at both game, both days of the Final Four, so all three games. And that was all I attended last year and did the rest of the work from my home. And uh, obviously uh, very grateful to BTN for allowing me to do that, to, to, to appear on the network from home and, and got a chance to, uh, to be a part of that. And, and because they did, I was able to warn everybody about Max Acemas. <laughs> I was on the Selection Sunday show with John Beeline. And although I wasn't pronouncing Max's name correctly at the time, I did know that he was a danger. I didn't know he would have quite the night that he did against the Buckeyes in the NCAA tournament, but I, I, I did get a chance to, to put that out there. And, and Max is back. I'm not sure if he's on any Big Ten schedules. After what he did, I suspect not, uh, but uh, he's back uh, to be one of the terrific players in college basketball this year, along with a lot, a lot in the Big Ten. Yeah, uh, that's a name that haunts Buckeye fans, like you said. Good for you for being on it, because I, I hadn't heard of him. And, and when people were tweeting about it, I, I was like, that can't be the same guy that I'm hearing on the broadcast going off, because the name is just so unique. But uh, it was, and he torched Ohio State, made a name for himself. And that leads right into my next question, because I'm curious why, in your opinion, you think the Big Ten struggled like they did in the tournament, getting so many teams in, only getting one to the second weekend. Uh, in a year, you know, where the, the analytics had them as toughest conference ever. So you think it was more so bad matchups or a trend that we should be on the lookout for as we get into this season? You know, I looked at this uh, on the day that it was all sort of crumbling. And I looked back at the leagues that had been that kind of titanic presence in the regular season. And the most obvious example was the 2011 Big East, uh, which got 11 of its 16 teams into the field. That league lost nine of those in the first two days and, and might not have had any. We don't know, uh, but uh, they might not have had any if they hadn't had to play each other in the second round. They had so many that they wound up playing. Uh, Connecticut played Cincinnati. Uh, Syracuse played Marquette. Uh, Marquette won that game. And Connecticut, of course, uh, erased a lot of those issues by going on to win the NCAA championship. That didn't happen in the Big Ten, the, the lone survivor, so to speak. Michigan, you know, did a nice job getting to the Elite Eight and did, did, did some good things in that game, but ultimately uh, were gotten at the end by UCLA, so didn't even get a Final Four team. I really believe that when you're in a league like that, in order to survive or to thrive at the level that uh, Illinois or uh, Ohio State did, you have to become the best version of yourself. You're playing against other teams that are trying to be the best version of themselves. And you get so locked into that in order to get through that you don't necessarily have the occasion 
and especially last year when there were so few non-conference games. You don't have the occasion to deal with people coming out and throwing knuckleballs. And that's what happened. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit different with Oral Roberts' approach against, uh, against uh, Ohio State. Ohio State was not a great defensive team last year, and they play a, an extraordinary offensive team in Oral Roberts, uh, but still a different offensive team, taking shots that were not normal. And that, that's Ace talent. And, but taking those shots that are not normal, so you're not expecting the shot to come because you know where a shot comes from in an offense. Well, Oral Roberts didn't have to do that. They could play their way, and Ohio State couldn't prepare for that. Uh, Illinois and Purdue faced, like I said, knuckleballers. Uh, what, what, what North Texas did was they sandwiched Travion Williams. Now, that was on tape because they did the exact same thing to Western Kentucky. But it, it, if somebody doesn't make the open shot that that provides, it doesn't matter. And Purdue always has struggled. Uh, this team, this group has always struggled with making open shots when Sasha Stefanovic isn't there, isn't, isn't himself. Uh, and that was the case in that game. Uh, and it was also the case in their Big Ten tournament game. That's a big hurdle for this Purdue team is that Sasha can't be on and off. If they're going to win at the level that they can, he has to be on or mostly on, can't be on and off in the way that he is uh, or has been. And for Illinois, it was that, you know, that Loyola uh, deal with Cameron Crutwig, where he played in the high post, he played above the top of the key, and your best player all of a sudden becomes somewhat, and I don't want to de denigrate uh, Kofi Coburn with this, but he became somewhat useless. Uh, he, he's a great player, and, and I think the best player coming back into college basketball. But in that game, because of where Crutwig was stationed and his ability to play away from the goal, Kofi's dominance didn't matter as much. And I did think that it took too long for Illinois to figure out we're not winning our way. We have to win a different way. They, they really waited until probably the last eight minutes to try to win a different way. They needed to make that change probably at halftime because they were not winning playing Illinois basketball. And that's, I think that those are the biggest reasons why it happened. There'll be a little bit less of that this year for two reasons. One, they'll get a chance to play non-conference uh, games, a full schedule. They'll see a lot more different types of ball in that. And the second is, I don't think the bottom of the league is going to be quite as daunting as it was the last two years. Maybe, maybe every one of those teams changes my mind uh, as we get into this, but looking at it on paper, it doesn't seem as frightening. And so there, there are fewer games where you just have or, or I should say there are more games where you can, you don't have to be, you know, a plus to a, you can win at home with a B minus to C effort because you're just more talented than the other guys. I think there'll be more of those games. And I think that will help teams like Purdue, Illinois, Michigan, uh, the teams that most of us expect to be elite. Yeah, that's a great clear eyed analysis of what happened and what potentially, you know, might have been some of the root causes of that. I had not heard the the Big East comparison, um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, looking ahead, though, you you are an indie guy. You're probably the most famous indie guy I know. You know, I, I put you at the top of my Rolodex of, of indie personalities. Um, and so since you're on the ground there, it seems like from the outside looking in that Indiana fans in that state are, are mostly sold on the Mike Woodson hire. Now I, I might be off on that, but that's what it seems like to me, social media. It seems like they're all in for the most part. Um, 
you're nodding along. Is that your impression on the ground? Oh. And do you think the Hoosiers can meet these expectations that are swirling right now? They are so into this hire that it would not be a surprise if he were carried into the game on one of those Egyptian, uh, you know, things where they, you know, the, well, I don't know what they call those deals, but the, you know, the, the King sits on it and then everybody else puts it on their shoulder and carries it in. I mean, that's how into the Mike Woodson hire they are. They, the, the, there are very few non-believers and he has earned that to an extent. He probably, uh, he, he earned a good bit of it with his work in the NBA. He was in the NBA as a coach for three decades and that's, it, it's the best basketball in the world. And to, to, to survive in that league for that long, uh, you have to be really good. Uh, and so that's, that's number one. He earned it as well uh, with, his, with his wisdom in assembling a staff, in accepting what I, I assume was assembled for him in the form of Thad Mata uh, as an associate AD over, you know, with, with, a, you know, with an oversight over the basketball program there to help him adjust. Uh, and then, of course, their acknowledgement that the roster last year, however capable it was, was flawed. Uh, and they, they couldn't shoot. They, they, think about the Indiana roster a year ago. They had three small guards who, who were not elite shooters and two bigs who couldn't step away from the goal. It was bound to not work. And so they went out and they got guys who can make shots. And they went and they as well retained Trace Jackson Davis. They, they helped him understand that another year of college basketball would be good for him. And I think Mike sold him on the idea that Mike individually and the people he brought in would be good for Trace in terms of building his game to a, a level where the NBA would be interested. And so all of those elements, he just hasn't put, as they say in soccer, one of my favorite sports, he hasn't put a foot wrong yet. Uh, and so that going in there, the Indiana fans are ecstatic. Now, you know, they, they went to the Bahamas, played a little bit, played pretty well, but they weren't dominant down there. They, the second day they struggled a little bit. So I don't think this is going to be a, you know, a, a straight ascent to the top of the league. I think they're going to have their challenges. But I do think that they're making the right moves for this team and for the future. Well, half the fans from that state might get mad because I brought Indiana up before Purdue is one of my questions. <laughs> but, you know, Purdue, as, as we talked about a moment ago, is the Hoosier State squad that, that has everyone talking Big Ten title, talking Final Four. I am a believer. I think this is, a, you know, as good a chance as any for them to, for Matt Painter to get over that hurdle, um, for them to get number 25 as far as Big Ten titles go. Sounds like you're a believer as well, but how do they avoid kind of what you talked about? Uh, something like uh, off shooting a night, sinking them. And do you think that the Big Ten success that we expect should carry over this time without a, a North Texas type of uh, setback? Well, I think that I think there are a couple of ways. First of all, Jaden Ivey can become a more proficient shooter. I don't expect him to become Steph Curry. I don't think he needs to become Steph Curry to be a pro, but he needs to be more you know, more efficient, more effective as a deep shooter. And that part of the game will uh, emphasize, accelerate his ability to attack players off the bounce. Uh, very few people can stay in front of him with his dynamism. And so, so that's one step you, that you're not Sasha makes shots or we, or we have to win everything by getting the ball to the rim. Well, you can win a lot of games by doing that, but eventually you need to, you need to stretch the defense uh, you need to keep guys away from the lane, especially if you decide 
to go ahead and play two big guys. You, you know Travion Williams is going to be able to produce. Uh, you know Zach Eady is, uh, I don't know if, if it's accurate to describe him as such, but a year ago he was, at, he was the best backup center in college basketball. I don't know if he's still that or not. I, I, we'll find out how much they choose to play Travion and Zach together. But if you do want to do that, then you have to keep the rest of the defenders out of the lane. And the only way to do that is by being able to station guys around the perimeter that the defense will honor. If, if you're going to play both Zach Eady and Travion Williams together, then you have to be able to keep three def- the other defenders out of the lane, the, the three guys, uh, the rest of the three guys on the floor, uh, because there's going to be enough traffic in there as it is. And, and so, you, you know, Brandon Newman, uh, Jaden Ivey shooting the basketball better, obviously Sasha becoming more consistent. Uh, if those things happen, and you can play those two guys together offensively. Of course, defensively is a different challenge altogether, uh, and we'll see whether they can make that work. Uh, but even if you're just alternating them, you still want to keep extra defenders out of the post so that Travion doesn't get chance, so that Zach doesn't have to deal with guys. You know, they'd be grabbing at his waist, but it still can make it more difficult for him to score. All right, well, you had Purdue at number five in your preseason top 25. You had Illinois at number three as the highest Big Ten rated team. And you ranking the number three is, is pretty much validation for me as a Illinois alum, you know, a, a avid follower of that team and program. And I, I feel like whenever someone is that close to a team like I have been, uh, you know, my childhood growing up entire life, really, people tend to lean kind of best case scenario when evaluating them. So when I see that you rank them number three, I feel like I'm, I am not crazy. I, I, I would probably put them in the top five as well. Um, however, we talked about the Loyola game. That still is a, is a deep stain to me and, and something that, that worries me when they get going in the postseason. Um, but why is, is Illinois the best team in the big 10 entering the season in your mind and your rankings? Well, it starts with, they have, uh they have the best players at the two most important positions. Andre Curbelo is going to be one of the best point guards in college basketball. I, I was, I thought that I was the only one on that train. I was so disappointed when I found out like John Rothstein went to uh, a practice in Champaign and all he could talk about was Andre and, you know, and I think Jeff Goodman uh, from stadium has done that. And, and I, like, I thought I was going to be way out ahead of the pack on Andre because he's fabulous. He, he's, he's a tremendous playmaker obviously has to be better than an 18% three-point shooter for my prediction to come true. He's, they're not going to win the championship with him making 18%. They could with him shooting 30. I, I, that's not a great number even. And I think that, I think, but if I think if he does that, uh, you know, on 50, 60 attempts, uh, then he's at least a threat and you have to defend him differently. And so I, I will see whether he can get there. I, I suspect that, you know, watching the way, a year ago, we saw Io DeSumo make his improvement. And I know Andre's a committed player. Uh, so I think that he can get there. Uh, he'll, he'll have put the work in to get there. Uh, so we'll see how it happens. And then at the, you know, the other most important possession, position, you have, uh, you have the best center in college basketball, in my estimation, in Kofi Coburn, uh, who can do so many things uh, around the rim, uh, offensively and defensively. I think he needs to play more minutes. A year ago, played around 27 and a half, 27, close to 28. Uh, I think he needs to be able to go longer. 
uh, a year ago, uh, and, and they not not necessarily because they don't have the backup. See, I think Omar Payne coming in is a terrific backup. But I just think if you're going to win a national championship, then your great player has to be close to a 30-minute guy. And part of the reason he, he was at 27 and change a year ago was still the occasional tendency to get into foul trouble. Can't have that. Uh, it, that has to be a very rare thing. And in this league, it could not be because – you can't take off defensively when you're playing Trace one night and Hunter Dickinson another night. Uh, so, so many terrific big guys uh, in, the, in the Big Ten. So he's got to be able to learn how to defend constantly without fouling. Uh, and then, of course, on the perimeter, you're looking at, you know, you're, you're betting a little bit on somebody, uh, whether it's Jacob Grandison, uh, you know, whether it's somebody like uh, Austin Hutcherson. Somebody's got to be what they haven't been before. That's okay because you know freshmen come into college basketball all the time and and be what they haven't been before. Uh, so one of those guys has to be in that role. You know that Demonte Williams is going to be rock solid. Uh, you know that Trent Frazier is going to be rock solid. So I think that uh, I think with that foundation, they have as great a potential as anybody in the league. But saying that, uh, Michigan's not that far behind. Obviously, Purdue's not that far behind, and then maybe. You know, a few lanes down, uh, Ohio State, Maryland, Indiana, Michigan State all have the potential to push those three teams. Yeah, my prediction for Illinois player who is who they have not been before is going to be Coleman Hawkins. So keep an eye on that. He's, he's shown some flashes early in the exhibition, showed some last year. That's my, that's my sleeper. Um, all right, you mentioned Michigan. They, they might be miffed that me, an Illinois guy, you know, that waits till few questions deep to bring them up, uh, especially with the, the budding social media rivalry that we've seen. It's a lot of fun. I, I, love, I love looking on social media to see, uh, you know, the Instagram comments, the Twitter mentions fans chirping each other. That's what makes it great. And Hunter Dickinson pouring, you know, fuel on that, on that fire, kind of being a, a villain, a troll a little bit. I love it. I think he was hilarious at media day, uh, leaning into that, that role. And you kind of addressed it in, in, in your last statement there, but if any, is, is there, is there a gap between them, Purdue and Illinois, or are they all kind of bunched together at the top? What are you seeing out of Michigan? And why do you believe even after losing uh, livers and some top contributors last year, that they, they should be back at the top? Well, one of the, one of the differences between Michigan and Illinois and Purdue is the absence of uh, an abundance of established players. They have, three, four guys that, that, you know, what they can do. Hunter, I, obviously I, we know what he can do and I think he can do more. I, I think he's capable of more. I think he can carry through what he did in November, December last year through the whole regular season after having been through college basketball for a year, after having been through a real off season uh, that, you know, that wasn't available to most anybody a year ago uh, because of COVID. So I think Hunter, Hunter will be better. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, a really solid guy in Brandon Johns beside him, a really solid guard in Eli Brooks who can play either uh, backcourt spot, either, you know, either be the shooting guard or the point guard. So you've got those guys that you know what they can do. And then you have some players who are left over, uh, like Terrence Williams, who showed little flashes but didn't really have the opportunity playing time a year ago to really be factors. And then there's the abundance of new players. So I saw Caleb Houston uh, play with Zach Eady and against the U.S. 
in the uh, under-19 championships, was very impressed. Uh, Devontae Jones, uh, terrific resume. Uh, we know he can score. Uh, and we know that lots of guys who have scored at the, uh, you know, at the mid-major level have then come into leagues like the Big Ten and proved that they can do it there as well. So they have players like that who it, it, it's just more to put together, I guess, for, for Juwan Howard than maybe some of the other teams have to do. Or you, the other two teams where you're just, you know, mixing in one ingredient, two ingredients for, you know, smaller doses. Uh, Michigan has to establish more of a new formula or maybe the same formula with new players. Uh, but uh, there's a ton of talent there. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if they were the team that emerged as the champion. They, they certainly have the ability to do that. All right. Well, Maryland and Ohio State are two teams you mentioned. They, they are the two solid tier two teams to me. I'm not sure who might slot in behind them, but do you think either of them could sneak into that tier one, contend for a Big Ten title? Like, I love what Chris Holtman has done, like just a rock-solid team every year. Uh, Maryland's going to be really interesting just with the transfers coming in, uh, mixing and blending with some of that established talent, like Ayala, who's, who's just kind of a lifer there and has, has built a great career. Do um, you think either of them can can maybe knock one of those tier team, tier one teams off, or uh, is there someone I'm not thinking about that, that should be near them in that, that kind of second grouping in the Big Ten? Yeah, I thought that uh, I thought before Maryland lost Daryl Morsell to transfer that they could have been a contender for the title. I still think they're going to be very good, but I think that I, I just I just don't know that there's quite enough there uh, to be, a, especially in a league this good with teams that good that we mentioned already. So I think they're they're talking about trying to you know fight to finish fourth. If you finish fourth in this league, I mean you could be you could be a two seed, you could be a three seed. So uh, that's, you know, that's out there for them. I just think it's going to be hard to win enough games, uh, given the, uh, the, the overwhelming ability of the other three uh, to, 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 to be able to win a championship for Maryland. Uh, I, I put, uh, you know, I put Maryland in that group. Ohio State, do they have enough shooting now without Dwayne Washington or enough guard play without he and C.J. Walker? Uh, I think there are advantages to losing Dwayne Washington, I thought that, you know, he's a, he was a different kind of player because guys who play off the ball, who get their own shots can, can disrupt a little bit. And I'm not saying he was a disruptive player, but in certain circumstances, when you need the ball to flow, sometimes it stopped. Uh, but then do you have the right guy to fit in for him? I'm not sure yet whether or not he's there. Uh, I, I, they have a freshman that they like. Uh, and maybe he becomes that guy. And then maybe that problem is not a problem by the end of the year. I think Rutgers can still be very good uh, with what they lost. They still bring back, uh, you know, it was interesting to see Ron Harper come back. Uh, they lost a couple of transfers and, and that doesn't help their depth, but it does help. I think with guys like Caleb McConnell, I think it does help to force them a little bit to allow those guys to play. Uh, you know, uh, to, to be out there more and to and to be more influential, Geo Baker, guys like that, and to be able to you know, sort of play through things and uh, and, you know, maybe be a little bit more consistent. I mean, Ron Harper last year was one of the best players in the country for the first month of the season. And then he tailed off. And I think some of that tailing off has to do with, well, Ron Harp's not got it tonight. So let's just put out Montez. You know, I, I think that affected them. Now the rotation maybe can be a little tighter, so maybe that helps them. Yeah, and 
glad you brought Rutgers up. They were going to be um, one of the teams that I was I was suggesting as a potential sleeper underrated team. And and I saw you had Michigan State in your top twenty five. Uh, many they're not ranked entering the season in the AP poll, so many writers did not have them ranked. Um, it's interesting because I saw a tweet from Fox Sports, the college basketball account, saying, you know, who's your underrated favorite this year? And one of the images they put alongside was Michigan State. And it's like Michigan State underrated to start a season. Like that's, you know, that's something you don't see every year. Usually they come in the top 10, take a couple L's and then work their way back as the, the season progresses. So is Michigan State the underrated team entering? I think Nebraska is somewhat of a sleeper. I know the, the buzz has been swirling around them with some of the transfers that Hoiberg's brought in and the talent with the, the McGowan's brothers. Uh, who are your underrated Big Ten teams that you have your eye on? Yeah, you know, we did have uh, Michigan State higher than others, and I think it starts with the fact that now they have, they have an apparent point guard in Tyson Walker that they didn't have a year ago. Uh, and I know that they still want to give A.J. Hogard a chance to – compete for that job. But uh, I, I think that based on what I saw a year ago, it's, it's, if Tyson Walker's not their point guard, then I'm not sure they're back to where they want to be. I, we'll see whether he's the guy that they thought they were getting, bringing in uh, as a transfer, but a lot, you know, I, I the second step of that is, uh, is trusting guys that maybe didn't get that trust somewhat a little bit, teeny bit like Rutgers, but more so much more, exacerbated with Michigan State. Uh, players that I've always liked, like Gabe Brown, who was in and out of the lineup. Uh, Marcus Bingham, who I don't know because of the way he's built, and it's untraditional for Tom to have a guy like that, that I don't know that Tom's given him the appreciation of how he can change a game. He, he, he is so active, and he is so long, and he can disrupt so much, but he's not physical, and he's not tough, uh, you know, he's not physically tough. He's, I shouldn't say he's not mentally tough, but he's not physically tough. So he's easy to move. And that, and, and Tom has a hard time wrapping his head around that. But if you just leave him out there and see how he affects games, plus he's got offensive skill. He's a really good shooter. He's hard to guard. He, 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 he's so long that he can finish around the goal. I think there are guys that will get trust from Tom now that can be game changers, team changers, for the Spartans. And if uh, Tyson Walker is the point guard that, that, uh, that they hope they get when they brought him in, then it all can be stitched together. Uh, I, I think that's the, that's the team that I focus on when I think about underrated in this league. Uh, and then it's, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. A team like Northwestern does all that, does, do all those players who've been there so long, do they finally, you know, put together that understanding of the game and that, you know, and that, that there is basketball skill there. Do they have, do they have the guy to stitch it together? Uh, the point guard who can make it all work in the way that it ought to work. I, I, I'll be curious to see. I, I, I'm not sure that Penn state's completely out of it. They they you know, obviously losing Jamari Wheeler as a point guard is a real blow to them because it, their, their defense worked because of him. Uh, they've got, you know, they've still got, um, some real, uh, real good players there, especially in the front court, that maybe they can find a way to put everything together. Uh, you look at them in the projected standings, the teams I mentioned, and they're not very prominent, but I still have some you know, belief that there are one or two guys figuring it out away from at least getting in the conversation uh, for, you know, for uh, uh, you know, uh, 
first four bid or something like that. Well, it's great Big Ten analysis, Mike, and I'm amazed always at how you can do this for not only the Big Ten, but for five other conferences and then all the mid-majors. Like, especially, it's good for me because I have my nose buried in football for the first few months of the year, and obviously, huge basketball guy, but it's hard to, it's hard to you know, keep everything under the microscope uh, in the fall. So, really appreciate you, you taking the time, but I, I'm not going to let you go without a couple of national college basketball questions Two things I'm really curious about real quick. Um, we're going to go to UCLA because they were the team that knocked out Michigan State. Didn't look great in that game until the, the late in the second half. And now they're coming in as the number two team in the country pretty much across the board. You had them number two. Uh, everyone's got to put Gonzaga number one, but they are solidly at number two. And I feel like, you know, they, they came in as a first four team last year. Obviously have a lot of talent with Juzang and Hawkins and Campbell uh, Miles Johnson from Rutgers transferring over there. Do you believe that, I mean, I know that a lot of people had to put them number two just kind of because of their performance. Do you believe that they will hang around in that top five all year? Do they have the staying power? They play in the Pac-12, which should get them a lot of Ws. Um, I don't know. Are you, are you a true believer in the Bruins with their, their run last year carrying over into this year? I understand what you're saying because I have that same skepticism. Uh, even in putting them at number two, I understand that uh, the way they played in March was not the way they played all of last season. They did have some moments. They were they were leading the Pac-12 by, I think, a couple of games uh, going into their final four or five games. And then they lost. Their, I think they lost their last four regular season games and then their first conference tournament game. Uh, and so they, they were they were pretty close to that team before that lapse. What's different about this team is the addition of Peyton Watson, who is a lottery level talent, uh, bringing Miles Johnson in from Rutgers. Uh, they have some depth now. They can go to nine, 10 guys and they can play faster. They don't have to grind you now. They can play faster. They can be better on offense. They can be more dynamic because of Watson. They, they lost Chris Smith around Christmas last year, who was their most dynamic player to still be able to make the final four after that was pretty impressive. Uh, I, I think that we'll see uh, guys being more aggressive offensively, more comfortable offensively, a lot fall, fall excuse me, a lot falls on tiger uh, tiger Campbell, their point guard. Uh, they don't, you know, they, they, they don't have the ability to afford him not being consistently good at both ends. He's never going to be Davion Mitchell at the defensive end. He's not fast enough. Uh, he's certainly tough enough mentally, but he's not fast enough. He's not, uh, he's not side to side quick enough to do what Mitchell did to so many teams last year, but he's got to at least be in the, in the matchup. If he's getting blown away, uh, he's, they're going to, they're, they're going to struggle uh, to keep themselves at the level uh, that we projected them, the AP that CBS and so many others. All right. Last question, Mike. You mentioned before we hopped on here that you got a chance to sit down with Coach K this final year, the Coach K farewell tour. Um, first part of the question, do you, are you pro farewell tour? You know, we saw Jeter do it, Big Poppy, Coach K is getting his trip. You know, D. Wade did it in basketball. Uh, and then do you think it will be a successful farewell tour for Coach K, much better than the uh, big step back they had last year? I, I am honestly pro. And, you know, first of all, it, 
I will say that having spoken to Mike uh, for you know in a, in a lengthy one-on-one -on -one interview in early October, that it, it, this is not about the tour. It, it's it, in his estimation the best way to position Duke to move forward without him. And we all know that replacing a legend is a real challenge for everybody. Look at some of the great coaches, uh, Gene Bartow, uh, how the struggle that he had replacing. John Wooden, even as they won games, they won a lot of basketball games. It was still hard. And ultimately he left uh, because he wasn't comfortable and happy there. It, it's a difficult thing to do. Matt Doherty uh, and Bill Guthridge replacing, uh, replacing uh, Dean Smith. It just is really difficult. So this is his idea, the best way to transition the program. But I like the farewell tour for this reason. I still feel bad about how I personally sent off Roy Williams. I'm a little teeny bit mad at him for leaving the way he did. I, I mean, I want him to do what's best for him, but I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, either personally or in, you know, through print or broadcast in the way that I would have liked. Uh, because, it, you know, oh, it's in the middle of March, I'm leaving. Wait, so you really, you understand what someone like I and or Jeff Goodman or or Gary Parish or whoever else covers national college basketball has to do in March. I mean, the stack of work is already this tall, and now you're going to throw the retirement of an all-time great coach on top of it. Thanks, Roy. I, this way, we have a full year to prepare for it. I know that's a totally selfish answer, but you know, you asked me how I feel, so uh, I, I I I like the fact that I got a chance to sit down with Mike. Uh, for a final one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I, I probably won't get that again. I certainly uh, won't get it in, you know, with him as a sitting coach. Uh, and so I feel really blessed that I had that opportunity. I would have liked to have that same thing with Roy. He was uh, a phenomenal coach, uh, someone that I really liked and admired. I enjoyed spending time with and and I would have liked to get that chance. Uh, so I, 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 I am in favor of it, and I do think it'll be interesting to follow uh, as, as he goes through. And I got a chance to watch the Devils practice when I was down there for that discussion. And they have some impressive ability. Uh, Mark Williams, who was uh, probably a 15-minute-a-game, 17-minute-a-game guy last year, seven-foot center, as dynamic as they come. Toward the end of last year, he started to get more minutes. That was about what he averaged out to, I think. But toward the end of last year, he became more a more regular player. He adds a great foundation. And then Paolo Bancaro, the freshman, uh, is probably the most talented player in college basketball. Might be Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga, but I, if I had to pick between the two players before they either played a college game, I'm going with Bancaro because – He's built like a classical NBA power forward, uh, even as an 18, 19 year old young man. And he has the game of a wing. Uh, he's got the grace of a Grant Hill. He's got a great three point shot. Uh, I, you know, I, I had some coaches question about whether he was a shooter. All I know is I sat there for 45 minutes in practice. Now I might've looked left or right once or twice when somebody's coming in and saying hello. Um, but I didn't see him miss a shot for 45 minutes in practice. I, I am, and that is not an exaggeration. Uh, and, and at least half of those were college three pointers. Uh, he didn't miss a shot until he took a fadeaway post shot in a post drill. Uh, so he's got real ability. I, I think they have a chance. The, the question I have is at the point guard spot. Uh, they are not overwhelming there. They do not have a lot of options there. Uh, and so 
can the point guard play rise to the level of the rest of the six or seven guys that'll play for them? And if it does, uh, yeah, Duke could be final four. I don't know that they could be national championship good, but I would never put it past him if they get there. Uh, and I, I would never, I would never expect that he couldn't win it. Well, I'm sad that you don't get to have the one-on-one with Roy Williams. Cause then you could give him my best, my farewell after he, uh, twice in my, my childhood, uh, you know, kind of set things in motion that were unfortunate for uh, a young Alex Rue. He leaves, uh, Kansas to go to North Carolina, which sends Bill Self, you know, the, the architect of the great Illinois teams that I got to watch growing up to Kansas. And then he sends me home from the Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis, uh, a loser in the national championship in 05. So, you know, congrats to Roy, but still a little salty on this end. <laughs> well, I totally understand that. Uh, those were two pretty tough. Uh, those were two pretty th- tough L's to take. Uh, obviously, Bill uh, is a, a, a Hall of Famer and, and has done amazing things at Kansas. And that was a great Illinois team. And if they'd have just, if they'd have been able to find some way to defend uh, Sean May, uh, just, you know, twice uh, they could have won that game, but they just couldn't stop him. Uh, and, and they just couldn't find a way to get home. Maybe this is a year they can, they can cleanse those, those demons. We'll see. Yeah, they would, if, if, if Sean May came back to play for the, the uh, other team in the final, I, I think Kofi could handle it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. If they had Kofi in 05, it, it might've been, <laughs> but uh, it's okay. We take no L's on this podcast, Mike. Appreciate you coming back like do every year. I'll see you see you soon. Um, you're in Chicago now. You'll be back in the studio. So looking forward to that. I am thrilled to be back. Uh, can't wait for it all to get started. Absolutely. All right. Thanks as always to Mike for joining the show. Like I said at the top, always an excellent college basketball, um, you know, source of information encyclopedia whatever you want to call it he knows uh the game has been around it forever and the lifelong college basketball fan like myself always great to talk to someone who's uh, been around the game for so long cool at the end to hear him talk about how he you know knows coach k knows roy williams and even though as big 10 fans we maybe roll our eyes or or you know have some shade ready for those ACC coaches got to respect the game, got to respect the legends of it for sure. And um, great to hear some of that insight as well to, to finish it there. All right, we'll toss it now over to Harold Shelton. He is our Big Ten Network Manager of Research. And if you listened to the show before, you probably heard Harold on these airwaves. He is also an expert in uh, college basketball and college football. He is Big Ten Network's stat guy and basically lives and breathes Big Ten sports and is the best guy to go to for week-to-week insight, especially as things overlap now and we're kind of inundated with Big Ten sports. It's a, it's a great time of year if you're a college football or basketball fan. Um, football's coming down the stretch here with, with huge games. Basketball's just getting started. We got the conference crossover challenges coming up. We got the Champions Classic, uh, holiday tournaments soon enough. It's all it's all happening. It's awesome. And we'll talk to Harold about first the previous crazy weekend of Big Ten football, what it means for the weekend coming up, college football playoff rankings, the race for Indianapolis. And then we talk a little more college basketball with Harold um, with the season 
just around the corner, just around the weekend. And um, Harold provides excellent insight as always. So we'll get to him right now. Let's take 10 podcast discussion with Harold Shelton. All right. Very excited as always to be rejoined by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research, victorious Harold Shelton. Got a glow around him if you're watching on YouTube right now after Michigan State's um, comeback win over Michigan. Thriller, victory lap. I'm, I'm going on and on, but uh, Harold, I, you know, some fan bases are blessed. You had to go through like one year sort of a rebuild, one and a half years, and you're at number three in the country. So take a lap. Yeah, you know, uh, before the season, you know, I was – I guess optimistic for seven and five, you know, thinking that no, I didn't think they'd be as bad as people thought, you know, being picked last in the East and all that kind of stuff. But there's no way I saw Aiden O coming. Um, and there's no way I saw like both Michigan schools being undefeated coming into this game and having all of the hoopla that it did and the game living up to all of the hype that it had throughout the week. I mean, I was you know, it's one of those games where, like, you've been on the losing side and the winning side of, like, an awesome experience, and you're like, dang, I really wish we, we could have won that game because, like, that's a game I'd go back and watch because it was so awesome. Like, that's how it felt, but just on the winning side this time. Yeah, just bigger picture. Having both of your schools be – or both of your programs at your favorite school be so good at football and men's basketball overall over, like, an extended period of time uh unimaginable to some of us but it's got to be just a never-ending you know experience of of a great september through april almost every year it's weird because when i was in school it was definitely not that way the basketball team obviously was good but um you know i had two years of bobby williams and three years of john l smith and you know, I think it was two bowl games in five years and losing 49 to three to Michigan. And, you know, there were some some upsets here and there sprinkled in, but, you know, mostly a football program that couldn't get out of its own way. And then, you know, as soon as I moved to Chicago and started the network, they win the Big Ten championship in football and go to Rose Bowl and the run is kind of started from there. So, you know, I'll take full credit for uh, <laughs> for Michigan State. Know, getting to these levels ever since I started working here. Yeah, we talked about how unique it was for this to be happening with both teams having a lot at stake in the rankings and happening late in the season. Uh, this this year it fell a few days before the first college football rankings came out. So obviously Michigan State gets the 37-33 win and gets to number three in the rankings with Ohio State sneaking up behind them at number five. Michigan doesn't drop very far there at number seven. Um, so not too far out of that number four spot, but I guess we can get into it a little bit before uh, getting really deep into Saturday afternoon. Uh, any surprises or gripes from what we got with the playoff rankings? Are you happy with your Spartans at number three? I don't see personally how they should be behind Alabama, who has lost, but we know who's making these decisions, and, and we know how much they tend to love Alabama uh, or Georgia or Oklahoma, no matter what those schools do. So your thoughts on the rankings, especially after what we saw on Saturday um, in, in your Mitten State showdown that we saw? Uh, they kind of played out how I thought they would. Um, that's not to say that I would have ranked them the same way, but just kind of going off of how I think the committee thinks. Um, 
I'm, I can't say I'm too surprised. I'm very disappointed with the Cincinnati placement. Uh, you know, I, them being sixth and having a, a double-digit road win against a team that you also have in the top 10 is better than anything that, you know, an Alabama has done or, you know, better than what Ohio State has done. You're still undefeated. You know, there's only – and, you know, it's this crazy year where we're talking about all these teams that are getting upset and, you know, chaotic year and year we haven't seen in like 14, 15 years. Like being 8-0 is a big deal this year. Like it might not be in other years where, you know, teams don't have these slip-ups, but there's been slip-ups all over the place. And so the fact that you have six teams that are undefeated and, you know, I was fine with Michigan State being three, uh, but Cincinnati being six, that, that, that really bothers me. You know, I think that, you know, they at least deserve to be higher. And then you can argue from there if teams, once teams' resumes start to get better, if Cincinnati's doesn't improve, then you have the argument there. But like right now, you're basically saying that unless some stuff happens in front of them, they don't control anything. And I think that's really disappointing. Yeah, I don't care about Cincinnati as like a, a, a program or school, you know, any more or less than any other random school in the country. But it, again, it highlights to me how, there are the haves and have-nots in college football. I've always railed against that. I think it's bad for the sport. I think it's bad for, you know, the engagement of a nationwide audience. And until that changes, you know, we're stuck. Cincinnati's stuck. The 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 opponents of this type of format of a 14 playoff are, are beholden to whatever narratives that, that the committee wants to run with and whoever they want to put in their, uh, their four-team their four invitational. So... That's just how it is. Um, and I'm glad that we have one team in solidly right now, one team knocking on the door and even Michigan, you know, peering, peering pretty closely in the window here. So let's talk about that game then on, on Saturday. Um, it was ridiculous. I was tied up uh, on the ground in Madison. So I, I was at the Iowa Wisconsin game, not able to really watch much of the first half, but I was checking the score, saw that, Michigan State fell behind by 16. Thought, okay, maybe this is a this is a wrap, and then watched the game on my phone um, with the ending, and it was just just insane. And you know, you add kind of the drama, uh, Gus Johnson calling it, Michigan State fans having like their own flags printed with the meme of the surrender Cobra guy from a few years back of the trouble with the snap game. Um, Kenneth Walker having five touchdowns. Like it was just one of those classic games that we'll look back on this season and put that game near the top of, of everything we saw in this year. So, um, you know, as somebody who is invested in it all and still has to kind of step back and look at the the numbers and what it means, like, well, what's your, what's your, what's your overall takeaway? So I guess I'll, I'll kind of go macro and then go more micro. Um, it was just, it was interesting, like, talking to people that I know that went to the game or like following Twitter and seeing, like the people who covered a game and like just the traffic up there and just, you know, saying it took like an hour to go two miles and stuff like that. You know, you see these lines outside the bars at 6.37 a.m. Like the buzz around the campus was like nothing that people had had seen before. And, you know, they played some big games in the past, but it was apparently it's nothing to this extent where you've got, 
you know, Game Day and Big Noon and, you know, all these other shows that are there and, you know, all of this hoopla around the game. And like you said, it's a, it's a crazy atmosphere. Um, then you get into the game and teams are throwing haymakers back and forth. And it looks like Michigan, you know, lands a big one to go up 30 to 14. And I'm like, man, this isn't looking good. Like they don't score on this drive. Like they might get boat race. Like, it, you know, it, it, you know, you, you're not confident at that point. Um, but I don't think it was over per se, but if they didn't score on that drive, it was going to be, and then they go down, they score, they get, they go for two early. I'm thinking, man, it's kind of early to be chasing points. They go, they get it, they get a stop. Walker shows how special he is. And, you know, the fact that now you have a, a legit Heisman candidate, some people, a lot of people actually think he's a front runner now. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy just to kind of see it all play out um, and then have a, a dramatic win like that in the game you want to win the most in the regular season. You know, it all just it, – it's, it's certainly a it, – it was it's the 2004 version for me as a Michigan State fan. I lived through that game where Braylon Edwards went crazy and a 17-point comeback to rally at home to win in triple overtime where he had like three touchdowns and was ridiculous. I felt like this is the Michigan State version where this is now the Kenneth Walker game and it'll go down in history as that. Yeah, it's an all-timer game. And I feel like when one of my teams or even a team or a game that I'm observing from the outside participates in a game like that, you just kind of know it in the moment immediately after and reflecting on it that it's just cemented as an all-timer that, like we said, will reflect on be in the highlight packages from year to co- years to come. It'll have its own social media aura and essence about it. And we need to talk, I think, about Kenneth Walker a little more because I'd never heard of this dude before the Northwestern game. Maybe he was good for Wake last year. I don't know the circumstances of his transfer. Maybe you can fill me in a little bit. I tweeted something on Saturday about, like, oh, man, like Wake Forest fans got to be sick that he is not on their team anymore. And I, some people responded, you know, maybe with some merit that, well, we're undefeated too. So, you know, stay out of our business. And, and, uh, I'm like, all right, but you're telling me you wouldn't have a Heisman front runner on your team. You know, you wouldn't prefer he was still there. I, I doubt that. Uh, what, how, do, how does this happen? Like, is it even precedented that a guy transfers and in year one with the new squad is just lighting it up, setting the world on fire, five touchdowns in a top 10 game, it just seems like it's a fairy tale, and I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I feel like the only comparable things I was thinking about this the other day, and the only like transfer that I can think of that just took it over like this was Cam. Mm-hmm. You know, when he came from Florida to JUCO to Auburn, and he comes to Auburn and wins the Heisman, they win a national title. And I'm not saying Michigan State is going to win a national title, and I'm not saying Kenneth Walker is going to win the Heisman, but just in terms of a first-year player, you know, not in the program at all, just having an impact like that, just completely changing your whole team. Cam was the only guy I could think about. I guess Justin Fields, but he was a known commodity. Like, he right. knew Justin Fields was great. We expected him to be great at Ohio State. I can't remember. Did he sit a year? I'm already getting the years mixed up. No, he – so he played at Georgia some, but he again he was a five-star recruit. Yeah. 
Um, you know, people, I think, you know, him and Trevor Lawrence were one and two yep. need the quarterbacks, you know, coming out of high school. And so when he got to Ohio State, people were expecting like, okay, Justin Fields is going to come in and he's going to be great. And Ohio State is going to be awesome. And they were. And again, that's still the best Big Ten team I've seen since I've been here. Um, Kenneth Walker, like I remember like when they got him from the portal and I was like, okay, that's a good ad. Like he'll help, you know, like he'll probably start and, you know, like maybe he could be a thousand yard guy. And I know the, the running game has been a major issue the last few years. So I'm like, okay, that's a good ad. Like I know he scored a lot of touchdowns at Wake, but you know, he was kind of in a, you know, uh, a sharing uh, backfield, you know, so he wasn't like the main guy there. I think one of the reasons why he said he left was just because, you know, they're in shotgun all the time and, you know, he kind of wanted to be more of a downhill guy and, you know, kind of felt, felt that this system, you know, could fit him more. And so I'm like, okay, you know, see what happens. Kenneth Walker looks like he's playing Madden with the sliders turned up. You know, he's like the creative <laughs> player. Like it, it looks like on the field, like he's just gliding in a plane that the Michigan defenders couldn't reach that other defenders couldn't reach, like we saw against Northwestern, but, like, that jump from Northwestern to Michigan this year is vast, and it didn't matter. Like, the dude, like I said, looks like he is uh, kind of playing football in another dimension. And also, like, quick Wake Forest comment. Another, the latest example of, you know, even though we bemoan the the uh, halves and the elite class of college football, on the flip side, I always get annoyed when people tell me that programs can't be turned around with the right leadership. I don't pretend to know much about Wake Forest football. Um, I didn't know much about Iowa State football before Matt Campbell got there. Uh, North Carolina before Matt Brown got there. If you have the right coach, somebody who knows what they are doing, it can be done. And I just need to stress that, you know, as, as uh, you know, going to plenty of Illinois football games where over, over my lifetime where it's been mostly ugly for my, <laughs> my existence, I still never given up on the belief that if they have the right person in charge, they can become what Wake Forest has done this year or, you know, what a school like Iowa has done after they were, you know, in a lull, um, even though they're a proud historic program or Wisconsin who didn't have a lot of history to fall back on before Barry. And, and I basically just kind of lean into that attitude that it can still be done to a degree and I, I don't like the eternal defeatist mindset in college football either. Oh, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, you could just look at my school. I mean, before Mark D'Antonio got there, people, yep. they were known more for screwing games up that they shouldn't. Um, you know, they had some some stuff during Saban, but even when Saban was there, they'd lose game. You know, they beat top ranked Ohio State and not make a bowl in the same year. Like you know, it was it was that kind of stuff where they rise up and beat somebody and then they lose games that they shouldn't. And I mean, it's this, we don't like the guy, but Dabo Sweeney is a perfect example. I mean, cleansing was mm -hmm. a thing where, you know, you lose games you're supposed to win. And then he got it to a point where now they're one of the four best programs in the country. Like it can be done. And I think, you know, it's the elitism that we talk about in college football, and I hate it, where it's like, oh, well, you know, the sport is so much better if this team is good, and the sport is so much better if that team is good. And, you know, 
oh, this team is just a flash in the pan. They won't be here. They don't have the resources that this team or this team or this team does. And it's like, if the right guy gets in and knows what he's doing, like you said, understands the culture, understands the resources, has a plan, has a process, puts it all together. I don't see why it can't sustain. Like we've seen multiple examples of it. Yeah. So that was my soapbox and I'll get back on it when we talk basketball in a little bit. Cause uh, you know, there's controversy swirling already in, in big 10 basketball. Uh, but let's talk more football because uh, Ohio state and Penn state had a, uh, interesting game. I, I, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a blow, but Ohio State is still showing just how extra they are on offense, right? Like they're just this embarrassment of riches again. Stroud is, is remains excellent. You know, we talked about it early in the year. Fans were getting restless because he wasn't Justin Fields right away. You know, he wasn't JT Barrett or Dwayne Haskins right away. Like, okay, just just relax. Like this dude is still doing well, and now he's really looking comfortable and uh, putting up silly numbers. So talked about it all year. Ohio State is the, the the shark that swam back out to sea, and we'll be back to terrorize the townspeople, and they're knocking on the door right now, and your your boys got to go through them here pretty soon. So uh, what do you make of their performance and their outlook as, you know, there's some couple big showdowns for them still scheduled in November? So I'll say this. I know – you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, them making the change with defensive coordinators and scheme and all of that after the Oregon game. Something needed to change. Stuff changed. You know, they started killing people. You know, they went about 40 and 50 points or scoring 50, 60 points. And they look like the normal death star that they usually do. I will say, I thought Penn State played very, very well in that game. Yeah, after – the week before, too? Like, yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, they made them look mortal. Now, again, we're talking Ohio State. So mortal for them is oh, 33 points, 450 yards. Not your score 50 or 60, get 500 or 60, 600 yards. Like, they made them look just like a really good football team instead of an out-of-the-world team. I will say – Obviously, going to be a tough challenge for any Big Ten team to beat them. But I still think that there's issues in their secondary. We saw Sean Clifford kind of expose that a little bit. But what they do really well on defense is that they create havoc now. For the first couple of games, they didn't for whatever reason. But now they're getting after the quarterback. They're scoring on defense. They got six defensive touchdowns this year, which is crazy. It's only been nine games or eight games. And they've scored six defensive touchdowns. Um, and we know about the offense in terms of, you know, the, the three-headed monster they got a receiver. You know, Travion Henderson, you know, clearly looks like the freshman of the year. And so, you know, they got a lot of weapons, and it's going to be really hard for anybody to beat them. Um, I was glad to see them already at five. That seems about right to me. Uh, but I'm a little confused and disappointed, I guess, that Penn State wasn't ranked. And I get the Illinois thing and all of that. But if you're supposed to look at the whole season and you're supposed to take extenuating circumstances as part of your evaluation, you have Iowa 22. They play basically two and a half quarters without their quarterback in that game and lose. Okay, fine. They're one score with Ohio State pretty much the whole game on the road when Clifford's healthy. You're supposed to use that in your evaluation. 
They already beat 13th ranked Auburn. They won in Madison. So they've got two wins against the top 25. Same record as a Mississippi State. Same record as a Wisconsin. But they're nowhere to be found in the CFP top 25. Some of these other teams are. Seems like they got really dinged for the Illinois loss and like nothing else really mattered. And I didn't really get that. Again, it's, I told you at the time, like the cynical nature of a lot of how this narrative uh, conjuring bleeds into the minds of whoever's, you know, making the rankings decisions or setting the tone for, for the sport, right? Like everyone just dubbed that game as an embarrassment, no matter that one team won and had a big upset on the road, no matter the circumstances, if Clifford was still banged up, like that, you know, that's just the, the aroma of, of Twitter or of like the studio desk gets stuck or applied to a game and that's just it. And, you know, I feel like that kind of probably played into the decision not to, to rank them in the CFP. Like it, and I don't know. I don't know why, you know, I don't know if this, like what infected the sport before social media, like if it was the same way. Um, but I feel like a lot of writers who, and um, analysts who have, you know, sway will just deem a matchup or a team or a program um, in a certain light. And that's, that's kind of what carries over. I don't know. I don't know if you fully agree with that, but I'm just such an online person that like, Maybe I'm I'm reading too much into the, the narratives here, but that's just kind of what I take from um, from my experience every Saturday. I guess I'm just curious in terms of the committee, how much are they on social media? I know it's mostly older guys. I don't know how active they are. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know, you know, are they following guys who are, you know, big hot take, big narrative type people and getting info from them? Are they actually doing their own research or actually watching the tape? Are they using mostly metrics? Like, I'd be curious because every because there's, you know, there's a criteria, but you can use whatever you want. Like, it's not like, uh, oh, right. well, you have to use win loss and you have to use head to head and you have to use it. Like, you can use whatever metric you want. We use eye yeah. tests. Like, it's just a moving target every year. I have and I have no insight either into like, you know, what what they're thinking. I should rephrase and in, in framing how I think social media plays into it. I think what bleeds from the national football media's um perspective i think it, i think it leaks onto social media but i think it goes the other way too i think what i see in like comment sections and the athletic and and kind of people who are, are where the discussion tends to go I, I see it reflected on twitter and i see it reflected in the rankings in the committee i feel like there's just a lot of group think when it comes to college football um and that usually is what what dominates the day no i, I definitely agree with that I, and i think you know we that's just where i'm consuming it i think is more on social media as opposed to the newspaper, if that makes sense. I, I think that's completely fair, you know, as opposed to it being on Twitter, like if you're watching it on ESPN or Fox or BTN or whatever, like you can kind of get, you know, a narrative. And then from there, you can figure out a formula to follow that narrative and use that as a reason to explain why you don't think this team is as good or you think this team is so much better than this team. And, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate. It, it makes you wonder how much, you know, they're actually researching, how much they're actually watching. Um, you know, you're supposed to do all of these things, and yet it looks like they don't do the things that are suggested. I mean, not to go back to the Orlovsky, uh, or not to go back to the Penn State-Illinois uh, 
game too much, but Dan Orlovsky, who called that game, it, it kind of encapsulates, you know, his, his lens here kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. Like, he reacted to the viral clip of Bielema and was like, wow, oh my God, like, this is a disaster. I have their game this week. Um, and then, you know, he probably goes through the normal game week preparation, talking to the coaches, getting the perspective, the nuance of it. And on the broadcast, he defended Bielema for the most part and was like, oh, you know, this is what he actually meant. I think this is constructive in some ways. And you kind of see where, you know, some of the nuance gets lost when there's just, in nature of the sport, it, there's just so much to cover. There's so many guys, athletes, storylines that I see why it's like this, right? I see why it's easier to just to, to boil down into simple online narratives. But you also, you also can see, you know, in that example, how this stuff kind of is, is formulated. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And, you know, kudos to Orlovsky for having an opinion, doing more work and figuring out like, oh, maybe my original opinion was misguided. Like I actually have more data and more information and now I can change my thought process. I think a lot of people, they have an opinion and they don't do any extra information. Or if they do, it's usually to just try to validate the opinion that they have and then they go forward with it as opposed to really getting your hands dirty and trying to figure out what's going on. And I'd love to see the committee expand because I don't know exactly what these 13 are really doing in that room. Well, we had an opinion or many, many of us had an opinion that Wisconsin was uh, maybe cooked this year a few weeks ago. Uh, they were out of it. I don't know if you felt that way, but I had kind of written them off. And now they got the grit factory going. I don't know if you saw the hat they threw on. It's kind of their blue-collar Midwestern version of the the turnover chain, the, the UNLV slot machine. It's the grit factory trucker hat. Uh, they earned it last weekend. They shut Iowa down and are now a major contender to get back to Indy Shocker. So Wisconsin's back in the picture. Are you surprised? And do you think they have enough juice to outlast Minnesota here and, and anyone else who might sneak up on them? Uh, I'm not, I'm not shocked, maybe slightly surprised. Um, after the Michigan game, they just kind of looked lifeless there for a bit. Um, and I know seeing again, when we get into data and like needing to fully go into things, when they aren't shooting themselves in the foot, and putting the defense in bad spots. It's a top two, top three unit in the country, and they're not three, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they're so good against the run, and they're so good at keeping teams out of the end zone, but against Notre Dame and against Michigan, you know, they're turning it over, they're giving up kickoff returns, pick sixes, all that stuff, so then the points get skewed. When they aren't doing that, which is what they haven't been doing the last few games, they can play the way they want to play. And now that Braylon Allen has turned into a monster, and now he and Malusi can complement each other, they don't have to have Graham Mertz throw the ball a lot. So he gets less opportunity to turn the ball over. So now you're playing with a lead, and it's the typical Wisconsin. We're going to run it for 200 yards. We're going to stop the run. We're going to ball control you to death. And if you can't throw the ball, then you're not going to beat us. And so we've seen that with Illinois. We've seen it with Iowa. 
you know, teams can't throw it against them. I mean, if teams can't throw it, then they can't take advantage of like the, I guess their weak point, which is the secondary. And I still wouldn't even call it weak. It's just not as good as the front seven, but here we are. And now they look like the favorite. And it was funny because I think it was the Wisconsin uh, Twitter feed kind of posted them as like the Michael Myers of the Big Ten West. And it's like, you know, walking in a frame like, hey, we're back. And it's like they are like they were one and three. They were left for dead. And now, you know, they're 21st in the CFP and they're only a game back of Minnesota who they're going to play at the end. And they got everything in front of them. Yeah, sandwich between Iowa at 22, Minnesota at 20. Iowa's reeling. Uh, that's just that's just tough to watch right now. But uh, Minnesota has a, I, you know, I would say what should be a win against Illinois this weekend coming up. Big one against Iowa on the 13th, and the Axe game looms very large as well. Um, with all of the lumps they've taken at running back, I think it's their third guy that's gone down for the year to injury, not to mention Ibrahim uh, off the top, who would have been probably – a Big Ten, you know, leading rusher, uh, especially with how he looked in that first game. What are we thinking about the Gophers? I think it's kind of the team we just kind of have to keep our eye on every week here. And and uh, they're, like we said, the, the biggest threat to Wisconsin coming back to their their familiar and comfy hotel beds in, in Indy. It's kind of feeling like 2019 and mm-hmm. I think it's 2015 where that Axe game decides the winner of the West. Um, and, you know, I think that Minnesota and Wisconsin are similar in that they had a loss and then people just forgot about them and threw them away. And that was the Bowling Green loss. And for whatever reason, they just did not play well at all that day. And I know they had receivers out and all that stuff, but they didn't even run the ball like they've been running it, you know, the past few weeks. And so, you know, since that game, they've won four in a row. And what's kind of gotten lost in that is their defense has been good throughout. You know, I know they struggled against Ohio State, but who doesn't? Um, you know, they fixed everything basically from after the second game on. You know, they're a top 10 rushing defense in the country. You know, they've got a, a transfer now, Pink, Pinkney, who's, who's been great. And, you know, the fact that they're still able to run the ball with, like, the fourth guy, the fifth guy, they moved a linebacker to play running back. He scored a touchdown against Northwestern last week. I got Tanner Morgan doing RPO keepers, you know, running for touchdowns. Backup quarterbacks in to run for touchdowns. P.J. Fleck and coach. And I know people might not like, you know, some of the mannerisms and, you know, the, the road abode and the, you know, the plus three and, and all that stuff that he does. But he can coach. Like, Considering what they've lost and how many receivers have been in and out of the lineup and they have a formula, they stick to it, and they've got two freshmen leading the team now at running back, and they haven't missed a beat. It is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and, you know, talent's going to win out uh, a lot of the time in football, but it's interesting to see the the Big Ten kind of have this, um, you know, or Minnesota at least kind of have this, NFL mirror similarity similarity where uh, running backs go down, next man up, guys come in. If you have a well coached offense, a, a you know veteran presence and a good line, then running backs can run all day. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, 
they've got some 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 big dudes up there with a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, this is the way that they played even before P.J. got there. You know, there's a team that was always physical. You know, when Mace was was leading it, it was, you know, have a pair and a spare, you know, whether it was Barbara or Maroney or, you know, Russell. You know, they always had dudes. And, you know, they continue to just – I mean, they play like Wisconsin, where they want to control the ball. They want to punch you in the face over and over again at the line of scrimmage and just wear you down and, and play with the lead, shorten the game. And they've been very successful at it. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when they play Iowa. That's the one team that they haven't been able to figure out at all. Um, like even, you know, Zach Kinnick. Yeah, Zach Kinnick. You know, remember 2019 when they had the amazing season and they got their first loss at Kinnick. You had the, the issues last year where, you know, Kirk's calling the timeouts when they're up big late and says he can't take them with them. You know, that that rivalry is always nasty. And I was had the upper hand on that. PJ hasn't beaten him at all. So, you know, even before we get to Wisconsin, I'd be curious just to see if they can get through Iowa, uh, you know, the way that, you know, they want to play kind of fits in Iowa's hands, but so did Wisconsin, and we saw what happened. So, all right, we will now look ahead to the upcoming weekend, week 10, starting double digits, which is wild. Uh, you know, it seems like you have a hunch most weeks, and, and you'll say it on here, or if we don't have a podcast, you'll say it at some point, and then you'll hit me up and say, you know, see, I told you, or give me a, a nod to wink or something like that, because it usually comes true. Um, we have the spoiler makers taking on your Spartans, right? Like Purdue did this a few weeks ago. They, everyone thought they had it all figured out. Iowa being at number two, kind of thought they were a shoe in to go to Indy. Spoiler makers come in, take care of that. Then, you know, they have a letdown and bounce back against Nebraska. What is your hunch this week? Do you have one? And does Purdue factor in at all? Um, love to hear, you know, what your what your fears are as far as that game goes, or if you have any other predictions or crystal ball, you know, foresight into this weekend. Uh, I absolutely hate this game as a Michigan State fan um, and alum. I was telling uh, my coworker who's a Purdue alum, and this was before the Iowa game, I said, that game in West Lafayette coming up. I absolutely hate that game. I want no part of that game. Um, for one, and it's a multitude of reasons. And they, they've only been heightened, you know, after the past week. You know, you you get this big emotional rivalry comeback win. Everybody telling you how great you are. You're eight and oh, you're number three in the country, playoff, yada, yada, all this stuff. Now you got to ramp it back up and you got to go on the road. And they've had success against Purdue, you know, recently. You know, they've won eight in a row in the series. Um, and, you know, it's kind of the, the flip side where, you know, Purdue's had big wins but couldn't follow it up. You know, whether it was, like you mentioned, you know, they beat Iowa and they fall flat against Wisconsin or, you know, they beat Ohio State a few years ago and then fall flat the next week. I'm hoping Michigan State can avoid that. Um, I do think it was interesting when Mel Tucker talked uh, this week. And he kind of basically read like all of the upsets that Purdue has had. Like, like he's very aware. Um, and hopefully the team is aware. But just in terms of, you know, Purdue's biggest strength is his passing game. 
Michigan State's biggest weakness is the pass defense. It's been been a bend but don't break unit all year. You just wonder if that could continue to hold up. It has so far, but you know it's kind of like playing with fire. Um, and you know, I just remember as a fan, you know, they would beat number one Ohio State. They come home to Purdue. This is you know late '90s at this point, but come home against Purdue and lose. Remember they beat Tom Brady in Michigan to go to six and zero. Number five in the country, they go to West Lafayette, get their doors blown off. You know, last couple of times they've been 8-0. You know, they've gone on the road 2015, they lose in Nebraska. 2010, they get pounded in Iowa City. So it's just, you know, they haven't gotten the 9-0, you know, since the 60s. And so there's always been like some weird game on the road against a team that they probably should beat and haven't. And... You know, just the circumstances surrounding this game, you know, definitely had me nervous. All that said, the trendy underdog pick doesn't usually work when everyone's on it. And the fact that they're only a three-point favorite, I feel like a lot of people might lean the Purdue way for that. So we'll see if they can avoid upset alert. Spooky season is not over. No. For you. you. No, not they're, at all. They're occupying a good corner of your, your mind. Yes. Rightfully so. Um, okay. I'm terrible with like scenarios. Usually like my mind does not work very well charting out possible futures, you know? So especially when it like it's this time of year and the big 10 tournament seating scenarios that always put me in a pretzel. Um, so these four teams are the, the ones that seem like they are indie bound potentially with Michigan state and Wisconsin leading the way, even though Minnesota's first, I know you said they, they seem like a favorite. So what, these four teams, right? Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan state, Ohio state. What, what are the odds of it being, you know, one of those four teams or two of those four teams and Michigan and Iowa, what needs to happen for them to be back in the conversation? And am I forgetting like Purdue could probably do it too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I know we mentioned those four, but I guess in theory, there's technically seven who are yeah. kind of still alive at this point. Um, the Michigan one's not far-fetched at all. You would just get into a, like three-way tie potential and like who knows at that point since they would have all beaten each other and all. Right, that's another thing. Record. Scenarios, yeah. Like those, those tiebreakers always trip me. Yeah, and so, you know, there's still not enough data because I think it's going to depend on like you know, opponents' records, like common opponents' records and all that kind of stuff. So we're still a little ways away from that. But you can certainly see a scenario where, you know, Michigan State loses to Ohio State and, you know, they're 11-1, and but Michigan beats Ohio State and they're, 11, they're you know, they're 8-1 and in the league. All three are 8-1 and in the league. And then, you know, they're all 1-1 one one against each other. And they're all, you know, five and one in the division. And then how do you, you know, break the tie from there? Then in the West, you know, you got Minnesota. It's a game up and there's three, uh, three teams behind them, you know, that are one game back. And, you know, we talked about Minnesota having to play Iowa and play Wisconsin. You know, what if there's a situation where, you know, there's a three-team tie with, you know, with two losses or there's a – you know, a 14 tie with three losses. Like there's a lot still in play here. Um, I think Purdue, I'd really like Purdue's chances, but I hate that schedule. There are crossovers. 
you know, the next two games are Michigan State and Ohio State. And so, you know, you already beat Iowa, but you I'm lost saying. to Wisconsin and you lost to uh, – yeah, you lost to Wisconsin and you lost to Minnesota already. And so, like, you can't really do much work uh, to make that up in the West, and you still got two top five teams coming up. So, like, they got the short end of the stick on that. But, you know, I think Wisconsin right now, you know, you've already beaten Iowa, you've already beaten Purdue. You know, the bulk of your schedule's behind you. You already played Penn State, you played Michigan. So I think for them right now, they're the favorite um, just because, you know, they control everything and the way that they're playing it looks like it's going to be really hard to stop them unless they shoot themselves in the foot like they did in September. Well, got a few more weeks to figure it out. Yes. Fun. It's going to be a wild, wild November. Uh, November is question earlier this week, so it was already top of mind. Yeah, like, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's a fool's errand to try and predict it at this point, but it is fun to talk scenarios as always. Um, got a few weeks to figure it out, and as we know, November – is busy season uh not only if you're a sports fan but especially if you're in our line of work uh basketball season starting up less than a week starting up tuesday november 9th officially we've already got some exhibition games in the books love to see the first little taste of big Ten basketball every year even if it is exhibition something we missed out on last year with with covid uh disrupting all that but good to see fans back in the arenas again student sections it's it's you know banners going up we had the Big Ten tournament banner, uh, wink, wink, most wins right. banner go up at Illinois, which was funny. Um, we had, uh, like I said, the, the is on back. Uh, Michigan was doing it big with their Midnight Madness. So I'm just loving it as a, as a big college basketball guy. Um, so lay it out for me. What are you looking at in the first couple of weeks here? You always have, again, center stage with, with – with your school, Michigan State's always center stage with the, the Champions Classic. Um, they're, just, they're just in that, I think, for eternity. So always fun to watch them and Duke and Kentucky and, and Kansas get after it on the opening night. That's obviously going to be on your, your to-watch list. But what are you looking for as the season gets underway in the first week or two with um, these games getting here in a hurry? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the exhibition games. No, I think a lot of teams kind of got off to slow starts last year because they didn't have those two games to kind of work kinks out. You're literally just thrown right into the fire and you're just getting after it right away. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to, you know, like the, the postseason, not the post, the holiday tournaments being back and like actually having fans at them. Um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, like you said, Michigan State, Kansas at the Garden, you know, that, that should be be really good. Now, you know, Michigan State in November, you know, they, they they have a tendency to drop, you know, some big games like this. I think Kansas is the only team in the Champions Classic that they have a winning record against. So I'm hoping that can continue. Um, I'm looking to see like these impact freshmen all around the league. You know, we you know, we, we've, we've heard so much about usual suspects, you know, with, with Kofi and Dickinson and Travion and, you know, Liddell. And, you know, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of good dudes, a lot of big dudes that are back. I want to see if some of these guards, you know, kind of take a next step, you know, to see if a Carbello or a Jay Nivey, you know, especially Jay Nivey. I, I bought a lot of Jay Nivey stock in January, so I kind of want to see that to continue to grow. Um, not that you asked, but I have Purdue winning the regular season. Um, 
So I'd just be very curious to, to kind of see what, what the Boilermakers look like. They feel like a great regular season team. I don't know if it'll translate in the tournament, but they seem like a great regular season team. Um, and for me, uh, just as a Michigan State fan, I really want to see Max Christie. I've heard so much about the hype. And, you know, Izzo isn't usually very complimentary towards freshmen, but he continues to go out of his way to praise him and say, you know, he's probably the most ready that a freshman guard has been since Gary Harris. So if we get Gary Harris level production from him, Michigan State could at least be in the mix to contend. I still think that there are teams that are better than them. But if he's that good, then Michigan State could be really good. Yeah, hearing good things on Max Christie. I'm not in any means, by any means, a, a capital J journalist, but I, I do have some sources at Michigan State who are impressed with Max Christie and kind of sprang up out of the conversation uh, I've been having around Andy Katz's top 20 player rankings that were rolling out in the 20 days before season starts. And he didn't include any of the high-impact freshmen. He didn't have Christie. He didn't have Caleb Houston at Michigan. And my bet would be that those two and maybe one or two more freshmen end up being better. McGowan's on there, probably. Yeah, McGowan's. Yeah, yeah, better than quite a few uh, players on the list. But you know, that's that's just kind of how it is when you deal with unknowns. You could you could bet big on one of those guys, and then they could ride the bench, or it could be you know any number of situations that happen with freshmen. So um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. I, I am curious at how they pan out. You know, we don't exactly have a Chet Holmgren in the conference this year. Uh, or anything like that. No Amoni Bates. Uh, sorry about that, um, Harold. But anyway, we have plenty to watch and a lot of exciting teams, I think, uh, especially with you mentioned a lot of the guys coming back. And we got the Big Ten Player of the Year, preseason uh, Player of the Year with Kofi Coburn at Illinois, hopefully back to his dominant self. I will tell you, like, being at that Big Ten tournament last year and watching what he was doing to monster. other – what he was doing to <laughs> other – Big Ten National Player of the Year candidates, like imposing his will on Liddell and 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 Garza. Uh, like, I Miles Johnson's a good player yeah. like, for Rutgers, and he was putting him through the rim like it was, it was up close. It was absurd. So yeah. hopefully he's back in that form and even better after uh, another off season of of refining his body and his his game. Uh, should be fun to watch, you know, with him and like we talked about Travion, Liddell, Dickinson. Uh, what other bigs am I missing in the big? Edie's another guy at Purdue, like Jackson Davis, Trace. Yeah, yeah, we're old school. We're going back to banging in the post in the Big Ten. Let's get after yep. it. Yeah, second straight year. So, but again, that cost us in March. We got to see these guards come through. We got to mm-hmm. see these guards make plays. And you know, when these bigs can't get the ball or these bigs are in foul trouble, we need some guards to take over. And they did not in March, and that's why a lot of us went home early. And so. We got to see these guards, you know, come to play and make a difference. All right, let's keep our eye on the trends early in the season. See if see if we can uh, project out some of the some of the fixes that we hope to employ in March, so we don't get sent home with our uh, tail between our legs like we did. Save for Michigan, who made it, uh, you know, within a point or two of the Final Four. Uh, H, lot to get to today. Longer, longer episode, um, but absolutely necessary with everything that's going on great time when sports are converging calendars are converging it's a lot of fun that's why we do it yeah absolutely you know i know we, uh we've kind of tried to space these out a little bit but you know with the first rankings and hoops coming up you know thought those and especially and the, the big game last week is important to kind of 
flush everything out. So glad to be on and, you know, glad to be able to have a runway to talk what we need to talk about. Awesome. We'll talk next time. And uh, thanks as always. Yeah, sounds good, man. All right. Thanks as always to Harold and Mike for joining the show. Two excellent college sports minds. Um, two of the best orators of of uh, the game. And, you know, I always am, am put at ease when listening to their their insight and their analysis. And uh, no, two, no better people to talk Big Ten sports with than, than Mike and Harold. So great episode. Hope everyone enjoyed it and uh, appreciate everyone out there who did tune in. Just want to throw a reminder out there that you can watch these episodes on YouTube, on the Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. If you subscribe and find the Big Ten Network, uh, <clears throat> or excuse me, the Take Ten Podcast playlist on the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. So find all the episodes there. You can see the guests. You can get the facial expressions, get the uh, mannerisms, all that good stuff. And we're also found on the audio platforms where most podcasts are. So you can subscribe there on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, all those uh, all those traditional stops for audio podcasts. So leave a rating and review if you like the show. Um, and I'm going to give one more thanks before we wrap up to Julie Bronder, who stitches the show together each and every episode. Appreciate her for that. And once again, appreciate everyone out there who tuned in. Exciting times, like I like I said, in Big Ten sports. It's all happening all at once here. And um, no, really no better time of year as we get into the holidays and, and all these sports are, are converging. So enjoy it. And we will talk to you soon to talk about it all over again here on the Take 10 Podcast.